This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Glad that you're here this morning, and if you would uh, please open your Bibles, or if you access the Bible on your phone or mobile device, you can click on it, but uh, go to James chapter 1, and we'll be looking at kind of the last portion of that chapter in just a, a couple of moments. I'm really excited, kind of like a kid uh, in a candy shop, one of those candy stores at the mall, where it's just candy everywhere. You think you've died and gone to heaven, but I'm excited as we begin our new series that we've been talking about for a little while. We're calling this series To Do in 22, and I have really been praying. I've been praying extra this week that the Holy Spirit would use this series as a starting point to help us deal with some of the issues in our lives that we've struggled with long term. It's, it's no secret, but some of us, we've dealt with issues, habits, we've dealt with addictions, we've dealt with disobedience, we've dealt with bad attitudes, temptations for years and years and years and years. And this series is not about condemning and, and bringing, heaping guilt on you. It's about helping us to experience freedom. That's been my prayer and will be my prayer throughout this series. And I'll just say, I'm expecting God to show up. I'm just expecting Him. I have this anticipation in my heart that God's going to do something amazing over the next few weeks, and I don't want to miss what He has for us. And, and when the dust settles, we will hopefully have learned this. Believing in God is good. Intending to do something is good. Making New Year's resolutions is good. Having goals is good, but the only thing, and I emphasize, the only thing that matters is what we do. Intending to do something, uh, resolutions, goals, talk, talk is cheap. Will we walk the walk? Now today, to set the tone for today, as, as, as well as the next few weeks, we're going to the, as I said, the book of James, and, and uh, James, the earthly brother of Jesus, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this about 2,000 years ago, and, and he gave some advice that was timeless. It was, it was applicable not only then, and, and the book of James was probably written right around 45 A.D., maybe 47 A.D. It was applicable then, but it's also perfectly applicable Today, for today, which to me, and we don't need any other confirmations, but this is just another one of the many, many confirmations that the Bible is more than a book. The Bible is God's Word. It's inspired. It's inerrant. And, and I think whenever you see how it worked back then, it still works today, that's just more proof that we're studying God's Word. Now, during this series, our strategy will be very simple. We'll, we'll take the Bible and, and verse by verse, sentence by sentence, sometimes word by word, try to determine what is God saying to us. Don't expect any fancy outlines like Pastor Richard had last week. I mean, his outline was beautiful. He, he used what's called, called alliteration, double alliteration. Every point had two words that started with the same letters. It was textbook perfect. In fact, my college professor he would have given him an A++++. That won't be the case in this series. In fact, my professor, and 
that did his best to teach me how to preach. He's gone. Bless his heart. He'll probably be turning over in his grave, maybe spinning over around in his grave as I violate everything he taught me. But I'm still fully expecting God through his word, through his spirit to speak to us. So let's pray and then we're going to dig into the series to do in 22. Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you. God, I've just been anticipating this day, this kickoff, but yet uh, I realize this is, this is bigger than I am. It's above my pay grade, and Lord, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to just kind of come to our, our rescue. Lord, let your word speak to us. Let us be open to the Spirit, and then let us be obedient to the Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what James, again, the earthly brother of Jesus, tells us. James chapter 1, verse 22, from the New International Version. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, and we didn't get very far. We're going to make our first stop. What does it mean to merely listen to the word, and in so doing, deceive yourselves? Well, James is trying to get across that there is a tension, there is a fine line between just listening and being deceived. And to explain this, let me tell you what happens every Sunday here in other churches around the country. In our church culture, as was the the case in church culture, synagogue culture 2,000 years ago, there's a sense in which people think, if I'm in the church building... Or for those of you that are listening online, if I listen online, then I should get credit for that. And God should give me a smiley face or give me a thumbs up emoji. Furthermore, some of us truly believe that just because we're in the church building, God looks down on us and he gets excited. And he calls for his angel. He said, hey, angels, come here, come here. Look down there at the church of God holiness. This brings tears to my eyes because, who should I pick on? Because there's Ryan. And Ryan was pretty rough, but he's in church today. And doesn't that just bless your heart, angels? And I think I will give him an extra jewel on his crown because he actually appears to be listening to Pastor Joe, even though the sermon is boring. Bless Ryan's little heart. You know, deep down inside of us, many of us think that we deserve praise simply because in some form we listened. We, we read the Bible, went to church, listened online. Or, or, or for those of you that are tuning on the, on the radio, you, you listened. And In fact, I've had some people tell me from this church, they, they say, Pastor, I actually listen to three different church services every Sunday morning. And as they tell me that, I just want to say some people need more than one service. Um. But, but by listening to them, you can, you, you, you can just sense that they feel like, well, they deserve three smiley faces. So many of us, because we listened in some form, we think God will reward us, answer our prayers, help the chiefs to win, or whatever, just because we listened. But there's something else that happens in church. If you go to a really good church and the pastor preaches a really good message and, and we're convicted in some way, maybe convicted of being a bad parent or a bad neighbor or a bad husband, bad Christian, it's always interesting, fascinating to me, but when a message is preached that makes you feel bad about yourself, 
you know what you say to me when you walk out of the building? Pastor, that was a good message. It's amusing to me that it, it seems that we have almost made guilt synonymous with it being a good sermon. The guiltier we feel after the sermon, the better sermon we think it was. And of course, we don't teach that here. I don't think any church teaches that. But, but in our church culture, as was synagogue culture back 2,000 years ago, if we go to church or, or today if we listen online and we feel guilt, it's like we should get a little bit of credit because feeling guilty makes us feel a little bit more spiritual than not feeling guilty. And so James in this scripture is trying to help us see that just merely showing up to listen to the word doesn't make us godly. It doesn't make us more spiritual. In fact, it can actually cause us to be deceived. James keeps on going. So do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And this next phrase just messes everything up. It's a killjoy. Because James says, do what it says. You know, we want credit for listening. We want credit for feeling guilty. But James is telling us that despite the fact that listening is good, feeling convicted is good, yet those things in themselves are meaningless if you don't do what the Word says. So when you walk out of here and you tell me or you text me and say, Pastor, you did a really good job today and you stepped on my toes, I appreciate the kind words. But just admitting that your toes were stepped on, I'm sorry, but it doesn't impress me. And I don't think it impresses God unless you act on it and do something about it. So I'm just issuing a fair warning next time you say, Pastor, you stepped on my toes. I'm going to probably jump in your face and say, okay, what are you going to do about it? Because that's what really matters. Well, then uh, Jim, uh, James gives an incredible illustration, bringing it right down to where we live. And this is an awesome verse. I, I love God's Word. Verse 23. Anyone who listens, in other words, those who read the Bible, go to church, listen online, take notes, maybe go to Sunday school, small groups. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like. And this is a great visual it's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, which most of us have done at least a half a dozen times today, verse 24, and after looking at himself, I love the sense of humor that James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inserts here, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Um, now, let me explain this. Of course, in our culture, we have... Uh, we have actual glass mirrors, and, and these mirrors help us to see the minute details on, on our face. You know, what, what you see in the mirror is, you know, the good, the bad, and especially the ugly. That's, that's the way you look, unless you've got one of those mirrors that distorts on purpose. But in this culture 2,000 years ago, when James was writing this, they didn't have glass mirrors. They had a piece of metal. They use pieces of metal, they use uh, maybe a piece of bronze, or in the morning they would have some type of container of water to take a bath in, which a bath back then basically meant you splashed water on your face, and, and some of you boys 10 to 12 years old still think that's your concept of a bath, splash water on your face. I took a bath, mom. But they would take that container and, and put it in the right light at the right angle, and they could see their reflection in the water, that's about 
as good as it got in terms of their mirror. But what James is saying, that person who comes to church or, or listens online or, or listens on the radio and is convicted in an area of his life and he goes, oh, wow, I, I need to do better. Oh, oh, oh wow, I, I need to stop doing that. Oh, oh, wow, I need to start doing that. Oh, wow, oh, wow. But then doesn't do anything about it? James says that's like getting up in the morning, walking into the bathroom, looking in the mirror and seeing yourself and going, oh, wow. But then getting dressed, going on with your day, forgetting about the oh, wow that you saw in the mirror. In fact, I want want you to think about something. Think about all the stuff that's on your bathroom counter that you have to address the morning, oh, wow. When you travel, you also have an oh wow bag, a bag that's bulging full of stuff. And in the morning, you take that first look in the mirror and you go, oh, wow. Ladies, you start digging into that bag, dragging out stuff to work on that face. And then you have stuff to try to deal with the hair that's vanishing, maybe has vanished. And you try to figure out whether to shave or trim or have the scruffy look or just look like our friends on Duck Dynasty. And do you know when you quit looking in the mirror in the morning, you quit looking in the mirror when it's all just perfect. When the makeup is just right and the hair is just right and the beard is just right. And unfortunately, we're more committed to fixing the oh wow that we see in the physical mirror than the oh wow that we see in the spiritual mirror. So when God's Word is held up in front of of our heart and and we go, oh, wow, I need to stop doing that. Oh, wow, I need to be more disciplined. Oh, oh, wow, I need to be kinder. Oh, wow, I need to quit saying bad words. Or, oh, wow, I need to quit drinking or smoking or chewing or snorting or shooting. Oh, wow, I need to end that relationship. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, Oh, wow. But we don't do it. James is saying that's looking in the mirror. And saying, oh wow, because the hair is messed up. The face is totally not made up. But you just ignore the oh wow and go on with your day. You know, whether or not you get every hair in place or your makeup is perfect has nothing to do with eternity. Now definitely fix up your face. Fix your hair. There's nothing godly. There's nothing spiritual in looking like an unmade bed. Take care of yourself. Look good. But what the Scripture teaches about your money, your morality, your relationships, your marriage, the way you treat your kids, the way you honor your parents, your integrity, all of those things have eternal consequences and help determine the eternal direction of your life. And so James is saying that many people are deceiving themselves because they listen online. They, they show up in church. They, they look awesome but they don't behave awesome. They address the oh wow of their face, but not the oh wow of their heart. And James says they have totally deceived themselves. In fact, isn't this true that whether it was a night or a week or a season that you regret the most in your life. We all have those seasons. And I bet you if anything, you were to go back and look at yourself in the mirror during that night, that week, that season, your hair looked awesome. 
Your, your makeup was perfect. Your beard was just right. Your clothes were matching. You never looked better, but you never behaved more improperly. You listened. You knew, but you didn't do. So you deceived yourself. Can I give you an illustration that's really, really dumb? Um, but I think it will help us understand this scripture better. And I'll just use me. I'm not going to use Ryan this time for this illustration. And, and I think you'll recognize uh, this is the religious talk that we use. So put yourself in here. Let's say I get up in the morning and I think, Oh, Joe, you really need to brush your teeth today. Um, your dentist tells you it's good for your teeth and it's good for your gums, not to mention your, your breath. But, but let's say that for some reason I just, I, I don't do it. I, I know I should brush my teeth, but I don't. Well, I get ready to leave the house and I go to my wife Faith and tell her goodbye and give her a goodbye kiss. And she says, oh, wow, Joe, did you not brush your teeth this morning? And, and I go, um, no. And I say, I, I know I really need to. And, and I actually thought about it. And, and, and I can tell by the taste in my mouth that I've got breath that would stop a Mack truck. And, and I feel guilty that I didn't do it. But, but no, I didn't brush my teeth. I'm I'm sorry. Well, I go out the door without brushing my teeth, and I walk into the office, and, and Mitzi and Diet and Barb and the rest of the office staff, they're there, and, and I walk in. It's almost like an animal that's been dead for a week walks in, and they suspect immediately, I didn't brush my teeth, and so they say, Joe, did you brush your teeth this morning? And I kind of hang my head and say, I, I thought about it. I, I wanted to, and I know that I need to. I feel guilty, but I just didn't do it. And, you know, the, the crazy thing is I, I keep a toothbrush and, and some toothpaste in, in my office and in, in, in my desk drawer because sometimes I can tell that uh, I have morning breath in the afternoon. And so when the office staff asked me, you know, if I brush my teeth, I could go in there and grab the toothbrush and the toothpaste and just do it. But I don't. Well, let's say that that evening, since it's on Wednesday, I go to my small group and as I walk in there, it's almost like, you, you know how it is after they fertilize a field with chicken litter. And, um, and I walk in there, and everybody's like, Ooh, Joe, did you brush your teeth today? And I, I say, busted. I didn't. I'm sorry. I thought about it. I know I should. I want to. I feel guilty that I didn't. But I just haven't done it. But... I tell my small group, would you please pray for me? Because again, I know I need to. And Faith noticed it before I walked out the door. And, and the office staff, they noticed it when I walked into the office. And, and I went to the store this afternoon. And I saw some people kind of frown while I walked by. And they just covered their nose. And so I know I need to brush my teeth. And would you all just kind of gather around me and pray for me? You might want to mask up, but gather around me and just pray for me. Because... I know I really need to brush my teeth, and I want you to pray for me, so I will. I, I think everybody would be like, Joe, you are an idiot. Just go brush your teeth. But because I knew I shouldn't, and because I feel guilt over it, because I've requested prayer for myself, it's almost like I feel a little bit closer to God, 
And even though I haven't brushed my teeth, you know, I feel better because I admitted it. Sometimes just as you feel better because you tell the pastor, you stepped on my toes today. Now, I know that's a really dumb illustration, but listen, this is going to get close to us. Some of us, come on, some of us, we've been carrying around the same old stupid habits, the same old addictions, the same overindulgences, the same lack of discipline, the, the same bad words, the same attitudes, the same unforgiveness. This has gone on for years and years and years and years. And we go, yeah, I, I know. I, I, I need to work on that. I, I need to do better. I need to quit that. I need to start doing that. And, and, and many people have told me, Joe, I know, I know, I know I need to be in church. Keep praying for me. And it's like we feel closer to God because at least we're honest and transparent and request prayer for ourselves. James says, so what if you're honest? So what if you're transparent? So what if you feel guilt? So what if you have good intentions? So what if you make New Year's resolutions? So what if you request prayer for yourself? If you don't do anything about it, God is not impressed. You're just deceiving yourself. It's not what you intend to do that counts. It's what you do. It's not what you know you ought to do that counts. It's what you do. It's not what God convicts you to do that counts. It's what you do. Then James comes to what maybe is my favorite part of this passage. And it's a little bit confusing on the surface if you don't study it. But it's brilliant. Another reason why I love the Bible. Here's what he says in verse 25. But the man who looks intently. Now, remember the context here? What's he looking intently? In the mirror, um, which, by the way, we know more about look intently than James did. Some of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you have one of those um, look intently mirrors on your counter. You know what I'm talking about? It's got a light around it, magnifies everything. You can look in every pore. You can look up your nose all the way to your brain. Look down your throat, see your intestines. Here's what James says. The man who looks intently into the perfect law. Now, what's the perfect law? Well, the Bible hadn't been compiled yet, but we had some of the Old Testament scriptures then. And then some stories were floating around, uh, some letters from the, uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, stories of Jesus. So the man who looks intently into the perfect law, the, the law that gives freedom... Now, when you think about the law, when you think about Scripture and all the do's and don'ts and thou shalt, thou shalt not, we, we don't think freedom. We think restrictive. We think we're not going to have fun ever again. We think about giving up stuff. So how can James refer to the law as, as giving freedom? Listen carefully. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in a Christian home, as some of you did, and I thank God for my wonderful parents. And, and we read the Bible as a family, and back then, uh, we read the King James Version. And so, my, my parents not only lived a godly life before us, but they also explained some of the King James terminology practically to us. And so, when I was very young, my parents taught me from Scripture that every time I got a dollar... 
I should give back to God a dime. Um, they call that tithing. But then they also taught me that uh, beyond that dime that went to God, I should also try to save at least a, a dime or more. Um, and they opened up a savings account so we could contribute our dimes to that. They, they call that savings. Now, um, after I gave the dime to God, after I saved the dime or more for later, I could spend the rest, even though my parents said, Joe, spend it wisely. Don't, don't blow it on, on stuff, you know, in these machines and stores. You put a quarter or 50 cents in there and you get this little worthless nothing. And they said, spend it wisely. Don't just blow the money. My parents also taught me that if I wanted to go out and buy something, it's always best to pay cash for it instead of going in debt. Now, now, following that concept, uh, that principle was fairly easy, as long as it was a dollar. But then I got older and started making more money. Not a lot. My, my job in, in high school paid me $3.15 an hour, which is way more than what some of the old-timers, some of you, maybe that were around before I was, a lot more than what you made. But that's what I made in, in, in high school, $3.15 an hour. So I went from an allowance of just a few dimes to... Um, earning a paycheck that might be $100 or, and eventually several hundred dollars. And, and all of a sudden, the, the whole idea of giving 10% away to God um, and saving 10% didn't feel so good. And, and that felt like a lot of money to give to God, especially giving it to, to the church where I didn't know where they were going to spend it. I had no control. I just put it in the offering plate and and I thought, man, I don't know if I like that. Um, and then it also felt like a lot of money that I was dumping into the savings account. It was like the black hole. I wasn't allowed to touch it. And had no benefit for me at that time. And it certainly didn't feel good to see other people buy newer toys and then later on newer cars. But because I couldn't pay cash for them, I kept what I had. But I continued to follow those principles anyway because my dad and mom helped me understand that those principles were not just old-fashioned ideas of theirs, but they were really based on principles of stewardship from God's Word. And, and I'll admit, for the early part of our married lives, when we didn't have much, when we served on the mission field and just scraped by during those years to give away at least 10%, we actually tried to give away a little more than 10%, and then save back another portion and not buy other stuff that other people had, it did not feel like freedom. In fact, sometimes we felt sorry for ourselves. Uh, in fact, it's funny now, but do you know what Faith, uh, Faith and I would get ourselves for Christmas when we were serving on the mission field? We went to a store that was called the import store, and we normally um, shopped in the open market. That's kind of what, what you did, but they had these import stores that were super-duper expensive, stuff that they imported from the States and Brazil and other, other countries like that. And, um, but what we did for Christmas is we would splurge and, and buy ourselves. You know what we bought for Christmas, each other for Christmas? We bought boxes of cereal. Seriously. And, and because they didn't have much of a selection, we bought uh, mainly cornflakes. And uh, once in a while, they'd have a sweet cereal there, and a lot of times it had bugs in it. It was so old. Uh, got some protein anyway, but uh, Christmas was a time for splurging. And, and I'll admit, living like that didn't always feel good. 
You don't need to feel sorry for us. That's not why I'm telling you this. But, but we try to follow those, those uh, stewardship principles from God's Word. And, and here's the result. Those principles today have given us some financial freedom. Note, I didn't say they've given us riches. No. Financial freedom isn't necessarily having a lot of money, but following those principles has resulted in financial freedom in, in a couple of different ways. One, we have freedom because... We don't feel we have to have the best or the newest or the latest or the greatest. And it doesn't bother us to know that much of what we have is not new. It doesn't bother us to know that others have newer and better and nicer. We are comfortable with that. There's tremendous freedom in not feeling we have to keep up with everyone else. But, but secondly, there's freedom and not having 10 different payments coming at you for car loans and from credit card companies and bank loans because of different purchases from furniture to remodeling projects in the home. And, and even though we may not have everything others have or even everything that we might want to have at times, there is freedom. And it happened largely because my parents tried to instill in us these biblical principles of stewardship. You know, just, just for an example here, um, after I graduated from college, you know, I, I didn't have much. I, I had to work my way through college. I paid my way through college. Mom and dad didn't have the means to, and they paid my car insurance. That was it, and uh, the rest was up to me. But one day I, I realized after living carefully, I had $750 that I didn't need for, for bills or anything else. And so I decided to put that money in a fund. And uh, down through the years, I haven't added anything to that. I haven't taken anything away. I just dumped it there. Um, and it, it was a fund that at times was very low producing, and I'm sure it could have done better elsewhere. But I just dumped it there, and it's there today. But that $750 that I haven't touched that I put there shortly after graduating from college, has grown to around $8,000. And that's not tremendous again. You could have probably done better yourself. But I credit my parents for helping me to understand the concept of saving. And obviously, I wish I would have put more away like that. And, but at the time, I didn't have any more. That was it. And for those of you that maybe weren't raised that way or maybe didn't have the financial guideline, a guidance from your parents to understand those stewardship principles, if, if you have a bunch of new stuff today and, and the latest of everything, but a bunch of debt and creditors calling you throughout the week, you have no financial margin, let me ask you, does that feel like freedom? Probably not. Well, furthermore, when I was a kid, my parents explained, explained to me from the Bible that God had things to say about morality and that sex was for marriage. And all of you could vouch for the fact that at that time when you're 15 or 16, that sounds like a horrible idea. But one of the reasons that these to-dos from God's Word are there is, is that the way you manage your morality will determine the level of intimacy you will be able to experience in your marriage. And again, when you're, when you're 16, it's like, who cares about intimacy? I just want the good stuff. And when you're young, living by those old stuffy rules of morality, it does not feel like it's freedom. But for those of you that are married, and you've tried to follow God's word on morality, which incidentally, 
God's word on morality goes totally against the world's view on morality. But those of you that have tried to follow God's word on morality, it's resulted in extraordinary freedom and liberty and intimacy. You know, this so-called sexual freedom of our culture is destroying this generation. And you don't need to raise your hand, and we're not going to let you give your testimony today, but for those of you who were extraordinarily sexually active through high school and college, now you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or older, you know that your sexual freedom did not result in greater freedom for you now. Once again, James is right. You know what else I was told? I was, I was told growing up because the Scripture teaches that our bodies are temples and the Spirit of God lives in our bodies. We're therefore to be careful what we do with our bodies and what we put in our bodies. And so I'm so thankful that my parents helped me to understand that because of that Scripture, you know, putting substances in my body, even though they might temporarily calm my nerves or give me a buzz or make me feel good, those things, because they hurt our bodies, they damaged the temple of the Holy Spirit. My parents helped me to see that those things were not God's plan. And yes, I found myself in some circles where those rules from my parents were viewed as stuffy and old-fashioned and not freedom-giving. But, but some of those people, if they could go back, I promise you they would opt out of those things because today it's done nothing but bring emotional slavery to habits and substances that has stolen away their health. That's why I love the Word of God, because the to-dos in the Bible are freedom-giving, they're life-giving, but not if you just listen. Not if you just say, Pastor, you stepped on my toes, but only if you follow them. And you know what else I was taught? I, I, I could go on and on with different things that God has given us in His Word, but I was taught that when somebody does something bad to me that I eventually have to forgive. Initially, that's not freedom. <laughs> Unforgiveness, at least from my perspective, at least initially is fun. Isn't it fun holding a grudge? And isn't it fun thinking of all of the things you would like to do to them and say to them? Unforgiveness initially is fun. And in that fun, we come up with all of the requirements. Okay, I will forgive them, but they're going to have to ask me for forgiveness 13 times. Or on a Sunday morning, they're going to have to get in front of the entire church and get on their knees and admit to the world that they were wrong. Or, you know, or this is what I hear a lot. You know, I'll forgive when the time is right. You know, I'll feel it. Wrong. Because forgiveness is not natural. It may never feel right. And the people that hurt you may never come to you and ask for forgiveness, but the Bible says that if you want to be forgiven by our Lord for the many times that you've messed up, have you messed up? Have you ever messed up? Just remember, if you want to be forgiven for your mess-ups, you need to forgive others who have messed up against you. And so even though unforgiveness short-term may be fun, yet long-term unforgiveness will enslave you. There is no freedom in unforgiveness. There is no freedom in resentment. There is freedom that is found in the unnatural decision of, I'm deciding to forgive you. 
And I want to make it clear this morning, I haven't done everything right. I haven't always followed my parents' advice, nor the advice in the Bible. I've blown money. I've bought things I shouldn't have bought. I've been materialistic. I've been stubborn. I've carried grudges. I've had a bad attitude. I've looked at things I shouldn't have looked at. I've done things I shouldn't have done. Thankfully, my sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. But I'm more convinced than ever through my many, many, many mistakes and through the few things that God has helped me to do right, James is exactly right. Following the divine to-dos not only give us liberty, but they give margin in our lives, sometimes financial margin, sometimes emotional margin, sometimes margin in our schedules. But more than that, they give us spiritual peace. But then there's one more thing that James talks about in that verse. (laughs) Pay attention to this. Finishing out the verse, the man who looks intently into the perfect law, gives freedom, continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. And so instead of just listening and saying, yeah, I, I, I know I should change this, and yeah, I know I should be in church regularly, and I know I should quit this bad habit, James says, when you actually do it, notice the promise, he will be blessed in what he does. The blessing is promised not for listening. The blessing comes when we follow through and do what God's Word says. And of course, this whole concept is talked about by Jesus. At the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, here's Jesus' kind of the summary statement for everything. And in Matthew 7, 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what's the next word? Puts them into, what is it? Practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, you may not have realized this, but it's harder to build a house on the rock than sand. In other words, it's harder to build a house with a foundation than just putting a house on top of the ground. Have you noticed it seems like builders take forever to dig it out and pour the foundation and it seems like it takes them almost as long to do that as it does to put up the house. And it's the same way in your life. Laying a proper foundation in your life is harder than just doing what pleases you at the moment. Giving 10% to God and then putting money into savings, that's harder than just spending it all. But that is like building a house on a rock. Trying to stay out of debt and and paying with cash as much as possible, that's harder. That's like building a house on the rock. Quitting those habits and addictions, even if they calm your nerves, that's harder initially. But that's like building a house on a rock. Forgiving people when they've really hurt you, that's harder but that's like building your house on the rock. Young people, obeying your parents in the Lord, that's harder, but that's like building your house on a rock. Building your house on a solid and firm foundation is so much harder than building it in the sand, but this is the result of building your house on the rock. Verse 25, The rain came down. The streams rose. So this was quite a storm. Rain. So the creeks went up. The winds blew. 
beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks, uh, if you dare come back, and, and by the way, I dare you to come back. I, I, I double dare you to come back. What's the next step? I double dog dare you to come back. But we're going to talk about some very specific foundational to-dos that Jesus gives us to help build our house on the rock. And here's, here's what I'm going to pray for you. What I'm going to pray for me in the coming weeks. As we look at these biblical principles, I pray that we would stare at them with the same intentionality that we stare in the mirror in the morning. And that we would refuse to quit staring at them until we make the adjustments necessary and we bring those issues into alignment with what God wants to see in us. And whenever we bring those into alignment, James, the earthly brother of Jesus, makes this promise, you will be blessed in what you do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I know it got close to us got close to me this week as God as I was just trying to uh, seek your face and seek your will and study your word Lord I pray that those areas of disobedience in our lives that we've been talking about and intending to do something about for years maybe Lord I pray that during this series God that you would help us to actually do something about it and Lord, I know what happens. And after a, a, a lesson like this, people, there's some people that look back and they have regrets. They know that they didn't do things right. And there are consequences. They wish that they could go back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years ago and redo things. And God, even though we know we can't do that, but yet, Lord, uh, through your power, Lord, we can start right now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, address the oh wow of our heart with the same intentionality that we address the oh wow of our face. Lord, I pray that the disobedience, the addictions, the habits, the attitudes, the motivations, the bad words, all of those things that, Lord, we say and we know we should quit, but it's kind of like that illustration of brushing our teeth. We just don't. And I pray that, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, rather than just heap us with so much guilt, I pray that you would just give us your power. Lord, that we could indeed be children of God to please you. Lord, you've got a plan for our lives. And Lord, that we would treat this vessel, this temple that you've given us with respect and Lord, that we'd, we would treat our, our soul, our spirit with respect. And God, that we would make sure that uh, everything is in alignment with you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us as we kind of chew on this this week. And Lord, we don't want to just feel a little bit of emotion. And then again, as we go out the door, it's gone. But I pray, Father, that it would actually translate into change. Thank you for being faithful through your holy word. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
amen and amen and oh me. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.